Welcome to Rebels with a Purpose, powered by the voices of Catapult X, who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. In this podcast, we pose five questions to leaders who are changing the world and its systems. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, CEO of Catapult X. Impact investing. What kind of impact can you make with only a few dollars? A lot, according to our Rebel with a Purpose. Co-founder of C-Note, Kat Berman, has created a platform and the financial instruments empowering all interested in doing so. Where does your money sleep? Kat Berman, welcome to Rebels with Purpose. So great to see you. Thank you, Kate. So great to be here. Oh my gosh. So many topics to begin, but where I really want to start is your path and your journey to that path. I think it's so important for people to hear the different twists and turns and serendipities that one encounters. So share a little bit about yours. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so prior to starting C-Note, the company I, I now lead, uh, I was in traditional finance. So I was managing director at a major financial services company in San Francisco, but nationwide, um, and venture capital prior to that. Um, so definitely more traditional finance role. And, you know, I had, a, like many folks listening, you know, had my series of aha moments uh, that really made me put on the brakes in terms of following a traditional career path. I think for me, that aha moment was the confluence of a series event, of events. One was um, the rising wealth gap that was happening in the United States and had continued to happen. Um, this dates back several years ago where I just kept seeing this crazy wealth gap turn into what I call a wealth chasm of inequity, where we saw, um, you know, the... Um, huge divide between those who were, you know, celebrating and doing incredibly well in the stock market and doing incredibly well financially in the United States and everybody else. Um, And realizing that I was, um, you know, spending my time in finance, making wealthy people wealthier and had a role (laughs) to play in that. Um, And at the same time, seeing the rise of socially uh, responsible investing. So I see this deepening wealth gap where the average wealth of a white family, the net worth was over 10x greater than the average um, net worth of a black family. And at the same time, seeing a lot of individuals want to do something about it as it relates to their portfolio. And so that really led me to want to leave my traditional role and and do something about it. Um, I think the the thought that crossed my mind was I can no longer sit on my hands and do nothing. Uh, I can no longer sit there and wait for philanthropy and government to solve the problem. And I think that was honestly, Kate, you know, a big aha moment for me because for years I had cared deeply about um, racial justice and economic justice. And in fact, in the course of my career, um, had done several things around that. But truthfully, I had spent most of my time really hoping that philanthropy and government were going to solve it. And clearly they were not. And so I got really rallied to take a step out of the conventional market and really think about how can each of us play a role in closing the wealth gap and recognizing that each of us have to play a role in closing the wealth gap if we're serious about this type of change and if we're serious about stopping this massive acceleration, um, this massive divide that's happening of inequity uh, and course correcting and doing something differently. 
Right. Well, and I, I couldn't agree more in, uh, you know, then you cue climate crisis, cue COVID, and those inequities just, to your point, it's cataclysmic, right? It just gets wider and wider. And it's interesting, isn't it, in life when you come to that point where you're not necessarily going to expecting it, but just like out of the blue, you're like, what am I doing? How can I, how can I do this? Yeah. How am I backing? Um, no disrespect or anything or judgment on any of the people at all, but it's just, I can't do this. If I ask myself, these are my three top values. I'm by doing what I'm doing. I'm not honoring any of it. So no wonder I'm not sleeping well. I feel gross. Uh, yeah. I'm somewhat depressed, right? It's, it's fascinating yeah. how that comes to and and I think in this in this times we're living is and the pandemic and the working from home, a lot of folks are having that call, right? That wake up call, that that honest look in the mirror call um, at various points. And I think it's one of the reasons we're seeing it so much job change and so much transition is, you know, when you're when you're, you know, faced with what am I really doing with my talents and my light and you don't like that answer. <laughs> and I will tell you in hindsight, you know, so. My background is I came, I was brought up in a very Argentinian family. My mom's from Buenos Aires. Um, you know, growing up, we ate dinner at nine o'clock at night and, you know, had, and spoke Spanish um, with my abuelos. And, and, and this idea of economic justice was something deeply rooted in my DNA. So my grandparents made it in this country through entrepreneurship, through starting a bodega and really growing um, their financial security through the power of economic justice, pure and simple. Right. It took me decades to realize how deeply ingrained that family history was and who I am and how much I deeply believe in that right, right? To That every right. human being, frankly, should have an opportunity to exercise their talents, their competency, and have access to opportunity, not, not based on their parents, not based on their color of their skin, not based on the zip code in which they were born. So, so um, my wake up call certainly didn't happen, you know, as early as I wish it would have given my background, but I'm glad it did. And then you look at my background and I, and now I get it. I can see the pattern of the why I care so deeply and why it's purposeful for me. But the, I think the thing that's beautiful about it, taking the time that it did was that it, it enabled you to have deep experience and really discover the inequities and the um, fallacies that these old financial systems, right? Be it from a VC and also traditional financial uh, and also experience it, I'm sure, as, as a woman, most likely, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. One of the things I've always loved about C-Note is that notion that, it, well, not, it's not a notion, it's actually a deep belief that in financial investment can really lead an empowering fuel, um, financial empowerment. So talk a little bit about some of the nuances and, and how C-Note takes a look and how it's essentially rebelling against the status quo when it comes to financial investing. So there's a, a couple central um statements, I'll say, that we believe in deeply, you know, one is that, you know, economic opportunity is fundamental if we want to think about wealth creation in this country. So, if, and when I say wealth, I don't mean every person owns a yacht. I mean, financial security. So if we right. truly believe that we would be a healthier country, if we had more democratized, equitable financial security for households, if we all believe that, then how do we make that happen? And we do believe that access to things that create financial security matter. 
There are two things we know, statistically speaking, research speaking, for decades, help create financial security for an individual or or family. Number one is ownership of property, and number two is entrepreneurship. So we know those two, when given that opportunity of to either start your own business and grow it, or to own your own home, that those two can be literally game changers for a family and for intergenerational wealth creation when those happen. And so how do we provide more of that? We also know that things like, you know, building health clinics, right, um, or childcare centers in a community creates greater economic stability in a community. So, so we already know what works <laughs> and we've seen it, and yet right. we're not fueling enough of that across this country. And so with that premise, we believe that we can get more of that goodness flowing into communities of color and low-income communities across the country to create that right right, level playing field. So that's one piece of it. The second piece that we firmly believe is that each of us can play a role. That what I'm describing of how do we make sure there's more equity? How do we make sure that more folks get to have access to capital and get to try to try entrepreneurship, get to experience their first home, even though they might not have come from a family that ever owned a home, right? That that's all of our conversations to have, not just those who are very affluent, you know, not just those in positions of power. It's a conversation for all of us. And for that, that's really where we started our company is how do we get all of us involved in this idea of a, of creating more economic justice? The how f- that we do it is say, great, how can all of us activate one of our tools that most of us are not activating? And that is the power of our purse. So whether it's your savings account, or whether it's your investment portfolio, wherever your money sleeps at night is a tool in your toolkit of change. And I love it, and particularly for the Catapult audience, because it's such an incredible group of people who are already so conscious about so many things. Many of us activate change or change agents because of the work we do, or because of the narrative, or because of the purchasing decisions we make in terms of what we buy and what we don't who we support and who we don't politically. So many folks are, are, are doing these very conscious decisions. But one of the last tools many folks don't even think frankly about is where is their money sleeping at night? And where your cash is sleeping, either in a depository institution like a major bank or an investment portfolio going to work, that could be your 401k, that could be your private investment portfolio. All of those are a tool that you are currently using and you're either using it proactively to create more of the world you want to live in, or you're using it passively and probably supporting things you don't want to be supporting. And so our job at C-Note is, is to raise awareness around that tool and then to really provide the technology and tools to make it really easy for people to do something about it. Make And, and that's everything from, you know, a first-time 19-year-old who has their first opportunity to make a $10 investment how do they put that to work with their values to a large corporation like PayPal or MasterCard who's using the power of their balance sheet to drive more change and going, oh, I believe in diversity inclusion. I probably should be doing that not just in human capital HR. I should probably be using my balance sheet to actually showcase that and invest in more diversity inclusion. And so they partner with a company like C-Note to make that happen. So that just gives you a couple ways that we really try to not just say, here's what we could all do, but make it easy to make that happen. To actually execute and do it and, and then watch right. the change happen. Well, That's so right. Kat, when you look back over the last five years, what are some of the surprises you have, right, with regards to the financial system that we see now? Uh there's a couple of them I'd probably say. You know, one is, you know, when we first started working in this sector and connecting 
individuals and, and organizations, foundations with community investments. We started our journey working with an industry um, called CDFIs. It's called, it stands for Community Development Financial Industries. And the easiest way to think of CDFIs is they are community lenders. So they are kind of in your community, almost feel like a bank. Some of our, um, our banks, some of them are just loan, our loan funds. Um, but they do the similar thing as banks in terms of they loan out money, right? The dissimilar piece is they loan out money very intentionally to those often left out of traditional finance. So they have a very intentional mandate to lend to those who have been underserved in traditional finance. So very cool mission. Many of them are, most of them are nonprofits. And it's an incredible industry, the CDFI industry. I had worked with it for years prior to starting CNO, so I was already a fan when I stepped right. into it. But back to your question, the surprise for me is when I walked into this and said, great, here's an easy way to get more economic justice moving. Let's fund and let's support and let's dial up what's already working. Let's not start it from scratch. Let's literally like pour gasoline on what's already working, what's already creating great economic justice. And that is CD5. Let's do that. Let's start with that. So I started doing that and I started talking to large foundations, asset managers, you know, advisors about this incredible, you know, industry CDFIs, very low risk, excellent capital preservation, not new, 40 years of track record. This is not a three-year-old industry, four decades of track record, incredible performance, and no one had heard of them. What? Nine out of 10 of my conversations were... I'm sorry, what did you say? CDF, CDFI? What does that stand for? What is even in that? And so as we think about um, a surprise I had in my journey of CNO, it is that the divide between finance and community finance is massive. Even though CDFIs are making loans, it is a debt instrument, it is packaged and can be securitized, it is priced, it is, you know, performance matters. Even though it is a financial instrument and it are, and these are financial entities, because of the word community, because they're serving a mission, the divide is truly massive. And so their um, incredible performance, both impact and financial, had been really kept silent. They call it, you know, one of the greatest, America's greatest secret for decades. So that was one of my biggest surprises is how little traditional finance um, and, and frankly, the wealth management industry knew about CDFIs and that there was a lot of education to do. The second thing I'll say that was surprising and, and also pretty frustrating is how deep the perception gap is in our financial mm. industry. And I'll give you an example. At CNOTE, we have a product called the Wisdom Fund, which is a fixed income. Think of it as a social bond. So <laughs> you can put money to work in a corporate bond, or you can put money to work in the social bond where you'll get a fixed return, and 100% of the dollars go towards wealth creation for women of color. It's helping women of color get their first capital or growth capital for businesses so they can create more financial security for themselves and their family. So as we shared this with investors, the immediate re response we got again and again and again from large institutions was amazing product. I love the idea of supporting women of color entrepreneurs. Sounds really risky. So clearly you're going to give me double digit returns. My response was show me the data that supports that conviction. And of course there was zero. And, and I use that as one example. I, I sadly have many of examples to say, getting back to this massive divide between traditional finance and community finance, there's also this perceptual divide that if it's doing good, it must be super risky.
And that is another myth that we get to bust at C-Note. We get to bust the myth that just because you're doing good things with your money, whether it's your savings or your investment, that it actually equals high risk. That is not true. <laughs> it, sometimes, it can be true depending on who you work with, but in the nature of that, what we work with in terms of the CDFI community and what we do at C-Note is we work on the risk mitigation, capital preservation side of the equation. And so um, it is that perception. That was another surprise to me is how deeply embedded people's perception are around risk and impact. And, you know, it makes me wonder, do they need that, right, that narrative, that perception to be true? Because, oh my gosh, we're the biggest fools. We haven't taken it. We haven't been supporting this and hence, right, over all these years. So they kind of, we need it to be true. So is there some way that we can, not that we want to do this, but is there a way to save face and just to your point, educate people and get them to come on board? That is seriously astonishing to me. And I, I think the whole notion, you're right, that community piece, it reminds me quite a bit of uh, when I was getting more involved in the impact investing and impact space. People kept saying, oh, that's like that corporate social responsibility. That's that, you know, that good part that where you're doing good. And that's, it's nice. As opposed <laughs> right. to, no, it's a, it's a, it's a must do. It's a must have. Yeah. There's nothing nice. I mean, yes, it's, everybody feels good, but boy, you feel great when you realize too that frankly, from a financial standpoint, it's absolutely very lucrative. And in the long run, the smartest, least risky, right? In many, well, in some instances, at least. Yeah. Well, if you look at it's it's a great point you make, Kate, because when you look at the CDFI industry, many of the communities they serve are low-income communities who are mm -hmm. actively operating in times that feel like a recession. The scarcity and lack of resources is not a 2008, 2009 thing. It's an every year thing. And so when you yeah. think about who's going to understand financial crises and economic disasters and resiliency, it's CDFIs because they live and breathe that year over year. And so not shockingly, they're some of the best performers in the entire financial industry because they understand risk mitigants, because they understand volatility, because they understand the nature of those borrowers better than everyone else. So I think your point is an excellent one. It's probably counterintuitive to a lot of people until we explain it. And then it goes, oh, wait, that makes complete sense that they would understand and, and be best at this. Um, so completely agree. And I will say the good news to your point about, you know, what do we do? It has been incredibly exciting and hopeful um, because that education is working. And to give you one tangible example, PayPal, obviously, um, large corporation, um, has moved into community impact investing in a really meaningful way, not just on the deposit side, which is really exciting, but also on the community investment side. They are actually one of the investors in the Wisdom Fund, to give you an example. And so oh, the fantastic. statement that large corporations are saying, this is a good idea, and not just for, to your point, CSR, but that this is just a smart investment. Um, I call it the and and the better. So it used to be, we used to say, this is a great financial tool and it delivers impact because a lot of the wealth advisors we originally worked with at C-Note would say, ah, oh, but how, how is the financial performance and how is the risk? And they really wanted to double down understandably on understanding the financial components. So we would spend a lot of time educating them on the strength of the, the financial industry. And then mm -hmm. they got comfortable with that. And look at all the incredible impact you get to do because you chose this product. 
Now it's actually moving towards better. It's not just an and you get impact. It's actually a better decision because you get things like diversification, right? Counter-cyclical nature. You get a lot of financial properties by way of investing in community assets and community investments um, that's actually better oftentimes than your current chooses. And then clearly underpinning all of this is what you are doing with the money, right? The opportunity to affect climate change, the climate crisis, the opportunity to affect racial injustices, the opportunity to um, support Native communities, women's economic empowerment. I could go on and on and on in terms of the opportunity to use the power of your investment to really hit home on the SDGs um, that you care about. So, so all of these bundled together, and I think a very powerful tool not to be ignored that we're just seeing tremendous adoption of across both individuals and corporations. So that answered one of my questions, which was going to be what hasn't happened yet, (laughs) but will eventually, clearly, I think that would be one of them. But on the flip side of that, what has happened that you weren't expecting to have happened yet? Or it happened faster than you thought? I think our work with corporations is happening incredibly fast and it's very exciting. So rewind three years. How many corporations were talking about impact investing or minority deposit institutions? Very, very, very few. And now we're seeing this incredible snowball effect where corporations are realizing that um, diversity, inclusion needs to go outside of just who you hire or who's on your board. That if you really are showing up about becoming or continuing to support uh, an inclusive community, it has to be reflected what we say enterprise-wide in everything you do, in, in your policies, in your procedures, and of course, in your leadership and hiring practices. So that wind, <laughs> that tailwind is woof, strong and blowing fast. And, and that's, happen- that's happening at, at a really exciting rate. Now, do you think part of that is also uh, talent acquisition and potential talent retention? Because as the next, you know, the younger generation comes in and says, okay, sorry, we're not standing for this anymore. We're demanding this. And oh, by the way, if you don't do this, you are so old school, not relevant. I don't want anything to do with you. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, when you ask the question of what's happened faster, I actually think the highlighting greenwashing has happened faster than I thought. So I Mm -hmm. figured if you think about social impact investing or investing with your values or anything you want to call it, um, there are a lot of easy ways to call something impact, right? I could make up, it could give you some bond and go, but it's, it's, it's impact, isn't it? It's, it's not doing bad. And I actually thought it was going to take, frankly, decades for investors to really lift up you know, the hood and go, oh yeah, that's, that's actually not really good for the world. Um, exactly. It is actually happening at a rapid pace to your point. And I, and I give a lot of the credit, frankly, to very smart millennials, very smart Gen Zers who are asking the question out of the gate. So whether it's their, the employees saying, what's really in my 401k? Do I have any sustainable choices? Or when you're asking, you know, going to a financial coach or a financial advisor and saying, you know, what are my options? Or frankly, looking into your bank. Um, there's a great app called Mighty Deposits that lets you look at um, sustainable banks across the country and choose one in your area. And so, so anyways, more and more, um, more and more individuals feel activated and really want to know what are we, what's in their portfolio or what's 
behind their investment strategies at their corporation. And, and so I think that is pushing, to your point, a lot of corporations to get bolder and frankly, more authentic about the decisions they make. So to um, follow up with that, then, what do you think is a reality now that won't be in five years? Uh, well, I the first one I would say is that um, diversity inclusion is going to go from a we should have to a mandate. Um, I think what we're experiencing right now is DEI and in all different ways and shapes is becoming more and more of a priority for large organizations. And this is, you know, across the board, because I know, you know, certainly foundations and nonprofits have mostly been working on it, but continue to work on it aggressively even now. Um, and so seeing it as a what I would currently say is an important effort, I think it will become a mandate. I think it will literally become a you will be the outlier if you do not have a comprehensive strategy and a visible strategy to have a diverse, inclusive environment um, and enterprise-wide approach. So I think that certainly is, is where we're going. I think the second is, you know, again, using all of the tools in the toolkit. Um, so as I shared for individuals, you know, looking beyond just what we buy, or who we support politically, you know, getting more open to other tools to really express our values, we're going to continue to see that, the personalization of choice. And that activated with technology around decision points. I think I'm a big action-oriented person. Let's not just talk about change. What the hell are we doing about it? And I do think one of the big ahas, you know, in my generation or in my lifetime has been the importance of decision point is that a lot of technology will not be adopted if it doesn't help us in the moment we need the help. And so I think we'll continue to see both the personalization and the values alignment options come out, but hopefully more and more at the time we need it most, where we can most kind of create that wave of action. And in your mind, looking forward, what are the key things you urge the Catapult crew to really pay attention to and think about and, and possibly talk about too, but like, what are the like burning issues that need to be in your mind, addressed? I'm going to sound probably like a broken record since this is, I think, often on most people's mind these days, you know, the existential threat of the climate crisis, um, for sure. Um, and again, I would go back to what are the individual decisions each of us are making every day and really questioning those and shining a light on those. I can tell you I do that. I scrutinize myself. So I encourage others to join me in that crazy guilt-ridden journey. But what can we do differently, right? Really asking ourselves, what can we do differently? How can we play a role? Um, racial justice. I am so inspired and excited by this moment and feel deeply that this can't just be a moment. <laughs> this needs to yeah. be the future. So the conversation, the visibility, the um, movement, right? The tectonic movement that's happening around racism in this country, um, I think is incredibly exciting. And again, I ask myself and I ask all of us, how do we play a role as it relates to education, understanding, allyship? Where can we step into this conversation through action? So I think that would be um, the, the second big one that I would say. Um, and then the last thing I would just say would be connectivity, which is... Mm -hmm. I feel deeply that if we've learned anything in this devastating pandemic, it is that we were put on this earth to be connected to one another, 
that there is no community, country, ecosystem, right, that isn't reliant um, or connected to others in some form and how deeply we rely on each other. And it is for a reason and for a good reason. And so that coming from a place of curiosity, of, of constantly wondering and asking, how do we continue to deepen connectivity through the power of technology, through the power of relationships, through the power of norms? How do we reconnect to one another? I think that is really the invitation of this next chapter of our country um, and of our world. And, and I'm hopeful because this is such an incredible and brilliant community that together we're all coming up with those solutions. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially right now where we are, there's such a bubbling up of, of mistrust or lack of trust. And I think there isn't really time for that. <laughs> and because the various issues are so cataclysmic, we really do need to rally together. We need to park our egos at the door. We need to have extraordinary situational humility. And I'm just going to say humility, period. Get over ourselves and work together and realize, sadly, there are pl <laughs> there's plenty of work to be done. There's a role for everybody. So yep. let everybody, you know, step up. And to your point regarding diversity, one of the things that I'm heartened in seeing is this recognition of the broader definition of that word. So even beyond gender and ethnic and racial, be it cognitive, be it physical, for me here at Catapult, Axe, what we're really wanting to do is encourage greater, a greater appetite for diversity of thought doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's going to agree, no, that's not going to happen. And there's always light and there's there's light and there's shadow to, to many thoughts, right? Uh, but I do believe that some of these questions, and you've, you've talked about it quite a bit, this notion of, of being curious. So we're going to be starting and introducing some uh, conversations that are going to be asking some edgier questions that we think really need to be tackled so that we can rebuild that trust that then becomes the foundation upon which true systemic and perennial change can take place. Because otherwise, you mentioned it earlier, it's just doing, you know, a little bit better, not as much bad. And really, is that the legacy we want to leave behind? And is that going to be enough? No, there's only so many band-aids we have. And I think, you know, we We've exhausted our Band-Aid supply. Yeah, beautifully said. Okay, so if you had to give everybody your rebel yell, your rallying cry to action, what would you urge everybody to do? Know what you own. Really look at where your money sleeps at night. And again, I'm talking about, you know, everything from your savings account, right? That money even if it's 50 bucks in a savings account, is going to work for something. It is not sitting in a vault collecting dust. It is doing something. And the question is, what is it doing? And is it creating more of the world you want to live in or less, right? Investment portfolio, even more so. 401k. So all of these are tools that are either creating more of the world we all believe in or not. And so I would really urge folks to know what you own and then recognize there's tons of resources out there to do something differently. If you look under the hood and realize, wow, this completely goes against what I believe in, 
Um, it's a powerful mechanism. So that would be my, my rally cry. And my invitation, I'd say, because I love this community, is to your earlier point about diversity of thought, is join in the conversation. We at CNO love talking to folks of all walks of life way outside of finance, because I truly believe some of the best ideas, and frankly, most of the best ideas are going to come outside of finance. It's learning from other industries, from designers, from thought leaders, from folks way beyond financial services to understand the future of finance. I think we're going to co-create this together from a design and a shared values perspective, not from a what we used to do for the last hundred years perspective. I, I can really plus 10 that. <laughs> I, I do just looking outside of the the industry and that's where the innovation comes in right that's why you know it takes a village and it really does and i can't think of a of a better group of minds and hearts and hands um to get it done than than all of us so cat berman thank you so much for making the time i really appreciate it i hope that i will see you at future fest I'm a huge fan. I absolutely love this community, as you know, and so can't wait to regroup with folks in person, online, whatever we need to make happen. Awesome. Terrific. Well, listen, thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you're doing and don't stop. The world needs you. Thank you, Kate. Thanks so much. This is Kate Byrne with Catapult X. Thanks for downloading our podcast, Rebels with a Purpose, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation with tech and impact investor leader and token economy visionary, Charlie Kleisner, where we'll talk about AI, tokens, new financial systems, and consciousness. If you like what you hear in this series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event. Yep, we're back in Oslo, Norway, May 18th through the 21st, 2022.